0: This is Wide Open, a series on how to embrace change and challenge your ways of thinking so you can level up your life, open up to new experiences and pay it forward to those who need it. I'm your host, Tony Gonzalez. I'm excited to introduce to you our guest, the best-selling author, sought-after motivational speaker and leading celebrity therapist who is currently pioneering a very interesting method of hypnotherapy, talking about Marissa Peer. From Olympians to royalty, CEOs, and many of your favorite celebrities, Marissa has helped thousands of people overcome some of their deepest and most difficult issues. She's also been the driving force behind the I Am Enough movement, an inspiring form of self-affirmation and the theme from her book from 2018, which is all about learning how to change your brain patterns for the better by simply turning to self-love. I'm very grateful to have Marissa here on Wide Open. Hey, what's up, guys? Tony Gonzalez here. This is the next episode of Wide Open, the podcast. Uh, Thank you for joining uh, us today. Today's guest is Marissa Peer, Britain's number one hypnotherapist. You have counseled Olympians, heads of state, uh, actors, entertainers, you name it. People have come to you from all walks of life trying to get over something. I just want to say welcome and thank you for being on the show.
1: Oh, thanks for inviting me.
0: Appreciate it. Uh, so let's let's go back to the beginning. Every time on Wide Open, we always talk about your upbringing. Obviously, we know you're a mover and shaker in what you do. But I want to go back to the beginning. Uh, growing up in the UK, which yeah. is where you're from, t- walk me through your upbringing as a child. Uh, just give us a brief background.
1: So my father was a headmaster. You call it a principal. And um, that was interesting to me because he was an amazing principal. But much more interested in everyone else's kids than us. I mean, the kids at school worshipped him, and we kind of didn't. And I was very much the third child. My brother was super smart. My sister was super gorgeous. And I always felt like just this kind of thing in the middle. But I think I had a great desire to prove myself. And I was going to be a teacher because my dad was a teacher, but I got kicked out of college. The best thing that ever happened to me by (laughs) Many things. You know, people say, oh my God, it was awful. Sometimes being rejected can be the best thing ever because it, I found myself after being thrown out of college in Robertson Boulevard working for Jane Fonda, that was way better than doing teacher training in the North of England. What'd you get
0: thrown out of college for, if you don't mind me asking? I didn't
1: do any work. Uh
0: Oh, no. So you're like, oh, you flunked out.
1: Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't study. Uh I didn't, I didn't work hard enough. I was just I just was having too much. You know, I went straight from living at home. I, the headmaster's daughter always had to be like a good kid because my dad was a headmaster and very eminent. So when I got the freedom to do what I wanted, I didn't do any work. Mm-hmm. And they asked me to leave, but they did me. Um, If I could go back, I'd have all of that all over again. So then I was working for Jane Fonda in Robertson Boulevard, and that was a turning point in my career. Because I realized every other woman, every third woman was bulimic, anorexic, exercise compulsive, body dysmorphic, and quite a few guys too. And I was, because when I was at college, I wanted to be a child psychologist. So I had this kind of mind that was always interested in why do people do what they do? And I was fascinated by why these really smart women, heads of movie studios, were bulimic. And it led me to search for the answer and I found this amazing hypnotist called Gil Boyne and I studied with him because I realized that hypnosis is the fastest way to find out why. Why do you um, drink, eat like that and then drink nail polish remover to vomit? I mean, that's illogical behavior. Why do you gamble and lose all your money? Why do you destroy your relationship? People can't answer those questions logically Because it's illogical behavior. Mm -hmm. And if they could answer it, they wouldn't even do it. They go, I don't know why I mess up and drink and ruin my life and cheat on my wife. I I have no idea. But with hypnosis, they find out why like that. Mm -hmm. So that was the turning point. I found out why. And I thought, well, this is great. I can work for Jane. I've got all my clients I ever need in her studio in Robertson Boulevard. But fate had other ideas. And I ended up having clients from all over the world i couldn't even fit them all into the appointment book so i had to stop working for her and just see all these people and then that led in all kinds of fascinating directions so i started to work on television shows wrote some books and my life's been amazing ever since
0: when you were younger what was your relationship like with the um, with yourself you know because i find that people <clears throat> that do your type of work the, few people I've met, and, and I know myself too. I mean, I'm not a psychologist by any mm. means, but I'm attracted to to why people act the way they do. Yeah, uh, I always say that too. If I didn't become a football player, I probably would have gone into some type of teaching or yeah. psychology, that's what I was gonna major in at Berkeley. Uh, and I look at my life growing up, and I think that's maybe what put me that direction. What did mm. you notice around you growing up? Or, or what was your relationship like with yourself as a child? So
1: when I was growing up, um My parents were very unhappily married. I I have no idea why they ever got married. They had nothing in common. I was a classic middle child. My mother was hysterical. I took always ill. I mean, she was a classic person who learned to get her needs met by being sick. My father used to pick up his briefcase and go to work and just work all the time And they do say that, you know, you learn what you live. And I remember watching this very strange, my hysterical mother crying, breaking things, being carted off to hospital, and my dad picking up his briefcase and going to work. And I remember thinking, you have to get a really good job so that when everything else goes wrong, it sustains you. My sister said that when she looked at that, she thought, you better get a really good husband that never leaves. And my brother said he looked at it and thought, never marry a beautiful woman, they're too highly strung. And we, each of us had the same experience but a completely different take on what it meant and that awareness of how each child sees the same thing differently made me want to work with children that come from troubled homes and and to understand but in all the craziness of my childhood and it was I remember when I was doing therapy, they said to me, oh my God, your childhood is completely crazy. I thought, really? It seemed kind of normal to me because I lived in it. It wasn't abusive. It wasn't poor. But it was unusual. But I had one person. I had a grandmother who believed in me. And I, I knew very early on that if you have one person that believes in you, you'll be okay. And And for me, when I work with children, often I'm the one person who believes in them. I've worked with many suicidal teens and they need one person just one could be a grandmother could be a mother but sometimes it's me and often i have to say to them look you're going to be okay i believe in you You can do this and it's really amazing that that ability to have one person Mm -hmm. understand you makes all the difference
0: what is it more important to have that one person that believes in you or is it more important for you to believe in yourself
1: well, it's more important for you to believe in yourself, but when you're a child, you can't do that because children by nature must idealize their parent. When you're born, you look at your mum, maybe she's mentally ill or an alcoholic. If you work that out, that is terrifying. Because you're a dependent child, dependent on that crazy adult to raise you. So what children do is they decide, no, it's my fault. It's my fault my mum drinks, my fault my dad's left, my fault my dad gets into a furious temper and screams at me. It's actually safer for a child to do that than to realize, oh, I'm not safe here. My dad's out of control. And that protects a child because they're dependent. Problem is, as they get older, they never unravel and go, oh, no, actually, no, it wasn't my fault at all. It was his fault. They hold on to that belief forever. It's my fault.
0: Mm-hmm. What well, you know, you just brought something up. I have, a, I have an adopted child, I a four-year-old, and... That's something that I could see already happening yeah. without even bringing it up to, to the child, the, 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 the psyche of, of, okay, maybe I don't belong here. Yeah. Especially when they don't look like you.
1: Yeah, I know.
0: That's a, that's been a tough one yeah. um, with a child like that. Uh, you, you talk about you are enough, by the way, too, before we go any further, I want to make sure, but everybody, everybody out there, I actually went and and sat down and did a session with you. And at the time I was going through a, a tough time in my life. I was I was uh, trying to be an actor, uh, and I still still am doing a little acting, but I had this this fear that I couldn't shake. And we did our session, yeah. and it's so great, the process of how you take people back. Now, I know you're talking about I Am Enough. Talk about that, since we, since we brought it up already.
1: And I, I remember your session, going you back that? to hiding from that guy who was going to bully you.
0: Yeah, th- well, the bully, uh, mm. I, I remember, it, you bat, that's what you do. You took you took me Take back to my back. earliest yeah. time I could ever yeah. remember having a fear. Yeah. yeah, and getting that story out, and then saying, "Okay, now we're going to replace that story yeah. with and look at it." a different, Is that part of the therapy? Is that how did you come up with that? And, and yeah, how does that well, work?
1: I created my own therapy called RTT, Rapid Transformations. I've been rapid. Trans- Rapid Transformation Therapy is all about, that's why we call it RTD, Mm -hmm. is all about the story. You know, we we tell ourselves the story. We play the only part we've ever known. And then that part becomes our own and we don't know how to separate it. And so people come in with their story and they go, well, you know, I I was a newborn baby and my mum told me that I was only like two pounds. I nearly died. They had to drop milk in me with a dropper and... I remember my mum telling me she used to cry every time I got weighed or if she fed me when I threw up. They would get so upset because I could die. Like, okay, and now you're 600 pounds because you keep telling yourself that story. And people tell themselves the story until it validates why, you know, my dad didn't love me. He left before I was born. He never came to see me. But he had another kid that he treat like Jesus, bought him everything, Game Boys, clothes. So if my dad didn't love me, I'm not lovable. And you have to go, but that was then, your dad was an idiot. That has nothing to do with whether you can find love or not. But clients tell themselves this story and they don't understand that at any age you can go, well, I I think it's time for a new story. And so my job is to first of all, find out where, where, you know, they come in and go, I don't know why I do this. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm just messed up. I don't know why I can't speed. I've always been that way. I go, no, nope. no baby looks away when you look at them in the hospital. No baby goes, don't look at me. I'm having a bad headache. We're all born with so much confidence. You have four children. They never go, no, I, I can't get a banana in my mouth. I, mm-hmm. I can't get to grips with this walking, reaching. They're, they're wired to go for something. But a lot of damage is done very early, and, and I see that all the time really silly things like people come in and go, you know, I I can't ask for money. And then RTT has what I call interruptions, where after they've gone back, they have to then say, but that's not me because, and that can't be me because, and that won't be me ever again. And what that does is it starts to change the neurons. It's actually called neuroplasticity. It starts to change the way the brain is wired. They stop thinking the way they thought as a child. And put into place different beliefs and then they're forever changed. And it's amazing to see it in action.
0: I remember after we did our yeah. session, uh, you recorded it too. Yeah, And I listened to it every day for 30 days. That's and it right. was just, this, it, by the way, it was remarkable. Because
1: it rewires your mind. It rewires your brain re- because basically yeah. you, you go
0: back to that fear and you basically, at least for me, and I I, I was bullied as a child. I got yeah. beat up as a child. And this goes back, this is not the bully story I had in seven, sixth, seventh, eighth grade that when I talk about all the time, this was like, way younger, yeah. you took me to memories that I hadn't had, I, I, f- I forgot about, yeah, honestly. Yeah, people go
1: back to being a tiny baby. You can, that,
0: your therapy brings out these memories that people have forgotten about. In a tiny womb. baby.
1: That, in that the is incredible. Womb. Yeah. Uh, because in the womb, the hearing is such a developed sense. So RTT works like this. First of all, you investigate. Someone comes in and says, oh, you know, I've got a fear of um, enclosed spaces. And some of those have actually been children who have been locked in their crib like for two days and they can't get out. Now they've got a fear of being trapped. So you investigate what you you start off with the understanding that no one is born with any fear except two things. Fear of being dropped and loud noises. Babies don't have fears. They'll stick their hand in a dog's mouth, they'll crawl straight off out of an upper window. They'll put their hand in a fire. They they don't know what fear is and they certainly don't lack confidence. So you investigate where did this come from. When you've got that information, which is very easy to find in hypnosis, you find it like with you in the first five minutes, it doesn't take long. People come in and within five minutes they know, oh, and now you interpret what did that do to you? How did that scene lead you to have this belief that you're not good enough, smart enough, interesting enough? And then you interrupt it. And the interruption is very important you have to interrupt the belief that says, I'll never find love, I'll never make money, I'll never be anything, amount to anything. And then you install a brand new belief, which is the recording, and you play that for 30 days because the mind learns by repetition. So while the session will change someone completely, the the recording will wire Mm -hmm. in that changing.
0: Yeah, so what I did too, I don't know if I ever told you this, a lot of the, the the affirmations or whatever you want to call mm. them. That I call it,
1: them statements of statements, truth. Statements, statements of, truth.
0: of truth. The statements of truth that you were telling me on that recording, and by the way, I still have the recording Good. on my Good. phone. Uh, I actually wrote that down Good. in a little yeah. diary book. And I still, I was looking at it today. It's crazy. I, I knew you were coming on, but for whatever reason, I picked up this book and I was mm. looking through it. And... It was all those statements of truth to myself that I would read every single day. And I reprogrammed my brain. The more I read it, the more it became part of me. Uh, I also did another thing that you talk about. Talk about this real quick. I am enough. I know we'd mentioned before, but I wrote I Am Enough in my wife's lipstick. Good. On my mirror. Yeah and i would look at it every day and kind of reprogram yeah. myself that was something that was like a campaign or something that you did it's
1: a movement i started called okay. i'm enough i started it on twitter and instagram and then i wrote a book called i'm enough and i have a 8 week audio program video program called i'm enough because as a therapist i realized very quickly there's only ever three things wrong with everyone i see whether i'm seeing a movie star an olympic athlete a politician a, a leader of a country, I see all of those people. And they all have the same problem. Yeah, They don't think they're enough or they feel so different that they can't really connect properly or they have a belief that what I want is not available to me. Mm-hmm. They all go back to being somewhere in their childhood and we get rid of that. But I found out that every addict i worked with, I've worked with thousands, believed they were not enough every bulimic, every hoarder, every compulsive shopper, every compulsive shoplifter, they all had this with, I'm not enough and I need more. And I'd always say, you know why you need more? Because you don't think you're enough. And they'd usually get big tears coming in their eyes and go, really? i like, come on, of course. Because when you think you're not enough, you can't get enough stuff to feel better. When you know you're enough, you actually don't need more, but you have a great feeling that you're worth more, which is very different. So I started the movement of writing it on your mirror in lipstick because the mind learns by repetition. And everyone looks in their mirror every day, and if you see something, you start to let it in. If you have a strong enough belief, it starts to become real. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that belief, it isn't real. So since you make your beliefs, and then your beliefs make you, you might as well make your beliefs amazing because they probably become true.
0: That that sounds so easy in theory, right? Yeah. So the compulsive uh, somebody's probably listening out there, and they're saying, "All right, I hear what you're saying, but how do I do? Is it is there any other way I can get to that point if I don't have access to someone like you? Obviously, you have a book coming out, yeah, uh, or or it's already out, and
1: it's like ten dollars, and it has four downloads in it. That we sell them for forty five dollars each, so it's a great ten dollars. And actually, if you were really struggling, we would give you that for Uh free. And I'm enough. Um, audio program. We give away the first two weeks. So Mm -hmm. it's always worth you taking it. And we give a lot of stuff away free. So if you're really struggling, you can write to us. And we're not all about just selling programs. We help people too. We have an anti-bullying program. We give away free to schools. We don't charge for that. And if if you're being bullied, you can write to us and we'll give you the program. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if you said, I want to be a brain surgeon, of course, you can't just think that and make it happen. But your feelings, which are the most real thing you have, it's important to think, you know, you feel bad. What do you say to yourself? I'm a loser. It's never going to work out. How could I ever be someone I didn't have a college education? And if you can just monitor how you speak to yourself and change that. I mean, I've had people on the brink of suicide who said, you know that, I'm enough. It, I didn't believe it, but I kept saying it, and actually it had a profound effect because it's strength. It's actually in its simplicity. If you say I'm a rock star, you might go, No, you're not. You you shop in Target. You haven't even got your own apartment. You're not a rock star. But when you say I'm enough, it always lets it in because it's actually true.
0: So, how does somebody out there who is, let's say they're they're actually doing pretty well. Yeah. uh, But they're looking to improve. Yeah. And they're like, I'm pretty positive. Where do you go from there when you kind of feel like you're in a good spot?
1: But you see, a lot of my clients are, oh, they're multimillionaires. They live on yachts. They have everything. They have a beautiful wife and then they, and they have beautiful kids and, but they don't feel enough. That's the thing. And they, and, and often they're not feeling enough is the driver to make you go and get more. Some people think they're not enough and they don't try and others are so driven because they think they're not enough, but then they can't have happiness because without I'm enough, nothing matters. If you don't believe in yourself, if you don't have self-esteem, it doesn't matter what else you have. Mm -hmm. You know, people always say to me when I'm at home and they see clients come to my house, well, what's wrong with that person? They're like a movie star, a top model. Why are they coming to you? And of course I couldn't say because that's a private client. But if I did, I'd say, well, they haven't got everything. They don't think they're worth it. And if you don't think you're worth it, then you devalue everything you have. And people look at Rock stars, especially who get rid of everything, it's what I call the self destructiveness of talent. If you don't think you're worth it, you have to get rid of it all. Uh
0: huh. And so, so that's a good thing, right there. Yeah, when because I've seen it a lot, obviously, I bet being you around have. lots of million dollar <clears throat> yeah. athletes, uh, guys that you know from the outside looking in, they got it all. So, wh- why is that though? I mean, I'm sh- like you said, you've talked to all these people because you have, you have your fame, and yeah. have your fortune. You have a, gr- a great jobs or whatever it is. You're doing these the, these amazing things from the outside, but then you still have this self-doubt. It, is that what you're saying? It goes back to that childhood? Is that where it came from?
1: Well, or? people have have this confusing belief that fame damages people. So they look at fame and think, oh, well, they're damaged by fame. But actually it's, it's the, entirely the opposite. Damaged people are drawn to fame. I, I don't feel enough. But if I become famous, mm-hmm. you'll love me because I'm beautiful or talented or gifted, I've got a voice or I've got something. And and then when they get there, they go, oh, but, you know, I'm still feeling inadequate. And now, I, I before I had a dream, I'll go over there and become a movie star and you'll all love me and you can look at someone like Heath Ledger who did that. But then it, they still have the same belief system. They've taken it with them. They're carrying this belief around with them and they keep treating the symptom but not the belief. And so that's why they destroy it all because they they don't know where to go with that belief. It's very hard as a parent because you want to fight your kids' battles. You want to make everything better. But if you do everything for them, you take away the drive. And you know, it, it's difficult. I've, I've worked with millionaires' kids who are way more disadvantaged than parents who don't have money because the ones without money go out and get a job and they learn oh I, I can do this but the ones whose parents don't give them any drive they really suffer uh,
0: well you have a child you have yeah. a daughter uh, what was some of the the ways that you spoke to her to get these kids in the right mindset to knock them into that feeling that they are enough is there any
1: well my daughter's ways an artist she's a really good artist and quite successful but she's a very classic artist loaded with talent but No marketing, doesn't have that. And my friend who's head of Sotheby's said, artists aren't marketers. You cannot make this kid a marketer. She's an artist. So I had to understand that that because I'm very good at marketing. I shouldn't expect her to be. And that's the problem with kids. We expect them to be like us and they're they're nothing like us. And so my daughter is nothing like me. And I had to learn to celebrate that difference very early. I'm tidy, she's messy. But I had to learn the classic mistake we make is to try and make our kids like us. And in fact, that guy, the prophet, said it correctly. He said, don't try to make your children like you. Try to be like them. Life doesn't go backwards. It goes forwards. They're not yours to shape. They're the sons and daughters of tomorrow. And you should never try to make them like you. You Try to be more like them. Mm -hmm. So I remember that poem. It helped me a lot.
0: So what about a child's confidence or anybody's confidence mm. for that? meaning? Because I, I see in my my four kids, uh, two of them mm. are very like, come on, get some confidence, you can do this, mm. and I'm doing mm. everything yeah. I'm doing, you are mm. enough. Yeah. Uh, and then the other one, sometimes I'm trying to pull them back, they're a little yeah. cocky, you could yeah. call it. What do you do for the person, though, who whose confidence is, is lacking?
1: Yeah. So somebody wrote to me and said, you know, my kid's school, there's a little boy who – Dad has died, and he comes in every day and he says, I don't have a dad. I haven't got a dad. And he's very angry. And what could I do? And I said, Well, not a great deal, but you could um maybe have him over for do you call them sleepovers? Yeah, have him over for sleepovers and see what you can do. And so she talked to this little kid, and he felt so different, so different. So she sat with this little boy and said, I know you your dad isn't here, but if he was here, what would he say? And she made him say it over and over again. And I made him a little recording saying, You're a great kid. You're an awesome kid. You're an amazing kid. You're a gift that any dad would love to have. And then she got the mother to write on his mirror, You are an awesome kid. And that actually completely turned that kid around because it's what he needed to hear. The kid has to say it themselves. You could say to your kid, You're amazing. They go, No, I'm not. You could say to your kid, Oh, Look at that work of art, they go, I just scribbled that in two minutes, it's worthless. Mm-hmm. So it's not you saying it. Mm. Many kids say to their child, you're so wonderful. They go, oh, Mum, you just think that, no one else does, everyone hates me, or you say I'm smart, but my teacher doesn't think so. But when they say it, the mind lets it in. You see, if I said something to you, like, oh, Tony, you're amazing, or... I love that painting. It's It's incredible. I might make you feel that you want to give it to me. I could manipulate you with praise. I could say to my PA, you're the best PA in the whole world. Um, You're amazing. Could you work all weekend? Now I've kind of made a thing, oh, Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to do that now. So your mind understands that praise has an agenda, except when you say it yourself. Mm. There's no agenda. Your mind says if you say it, you know, so if someone else says it, it's like in a shop and they go, oh, oh my God, you look amazing in that. You should have that and you need the shoes to go with it and that's your color and, oh, look, we've got a matching. We think, oh, God, I'm going to have to buy all of this now. So we understand praise manipulates. We'll accept your own praise. Your mind says if you say it, it must be true, which is why self-criticism goes in and does so much damage and self-praise goes in. And does so much repairing because the most important word you'll ever hear are the words you say to yourself. Mm. And that's the problem with teenagers. They're waiting for some idiot boy or stupid girl to go, I like you. And I would say to them, look, why don't you like you? Instead of putting all this energy into making this person like you by buying them stuff and trying to please them and trying to do everything, do their homework and give them your lunch, don't do that. Mm -hmm. You like you, because when you can really like yourself, the whole world will fall in line. They'll like you to the degree that you like you. Yeah, Uh people fake it, but that's not real if you really, really, really like yourself.
0: Yeah. I love what you just said right there. Yeah, other people do. They'll like you to the degree that that you you like like yourself. Yeah
1: exactly Ah, that's so
0: important i remember when i was playing football when it finally took off for me and i've talked Mm. about this before Mm. that it was it was a mental thing it always is right isn't that what a mental thing yes you you said something too uh we had dinner uh i think it was last weekend uh you said what your mind says yes to yeah that's that's the secret right there yeah so when you're saying this stuff to yourself it, is, it, is it kind of an emotional thing too? Because I said that stuff when I was going mm. through my hard times. I was like, yeah. oh, you got to get out of this. You know, you're better than this. And I would try to talk to myself, but mm. I didn't feel it. So yeah. do you recommend, how do you get yourself to that emotional feeling where it, it, you it know, you, means something?
1: You don't even have to. You have to repeat it. The number one job of your mind is to listen to your words and act on them. When you go, I'm going to mess this up. It's all going to go wrong. I haven't studied enough. I'll never pass that exam. Why would anyone date me? I don't have enough money. You're, you're presupposing it when if you say something different, you get something different because mm-hmm. your mind's number one job is to listen to what you tell it and act on it.
0: Oh, I love that. That's That goes back to... When I told you that I wrote down in my, my little diary book, yeah. or whatever it was that I was reading every day. And it, really the reason I was doing it is because I, was, I didn't know how to articulate yeah. what I felt about myself. Mm. And I think you're exactly, well, you are exactly right. You're the expert on this. Yeah, But that's what I would recommend to a lot of people out there. You have to learn how to talk to yourself. Yeah. and And write it down and memorize it and go back to it every single day until it becomes part of, it becomes Mm. like you're learning a language. You're learning the language of how to talk to yourself. And the
1: language of the mind, a few things to consider. The mind only works in the present tense. You can't go next year, I'll be a millionaire. Next year, I'll I'll have a hot body. Next year, I won't be depressed. It has to be now, Mm. today. So first of all, you've got to speak in the present tense because that's all the mind understands. Secondly, you've got to use very compelling, powerful, descriptive words that really turn on and excite the mind. And people don't understand that. They say things like, every day in every way, I'm getting better and better. Better and better from what? Every day I'm making more money. Well, you could make $10 a week more, but that's not exciting. Mm -hmm. So you have to use really, really powerful, descriptive, relevant, up-to-date words. Mm -hmm. And and that's probably why you love your tape, because when I make people recordings, I really excite the imagination, because yeah. I understand that that's what excites it. it, wakes up to good words, and it doesn't even understand what undescriptive words are. So people can really go, how was your weekend? All right, yeah, not bad. yeah." Um, when I see people beast, obese, how are you? I'm the size of a house. I'm like, well, clearly you're not, because you wouldn't get in the chair. Yeah, I, I just eat all day. I'm an out-of-control train wreck. I eat for 24 hours a day without stopping. I said, but... Not really, because surely you go to the bathroom. Surely you take a nap. And and then they, yeah, don't really eat all day. But when you say that to yourself, your mind believes that you do. Yeah. So here's the thing. If you walk in there and go, I'm starving. Oh, my God, I'm starving. I could eat a horse. Your mind goes, oh, my God, you're starving. Well, I have a little thing called an appetite, and it controls how much you eat. But when you tell told me you're starving, I'm going to switch that off. And you're going to stand in that fridge and eat everything like a mad person because you just told me you're starving. And you see, 100 years ago, that's what we died of more than disease, starvation. We're really scared of being hungry. So people think, you know, I logically now I've got a cooked chicken in my fridge, but I'm so hungry I'm going to eat all those jelly beans and taco chips now. So when you say I'm starving, you'll eat like you're starving, even though you know you're not. When you say, I am hungry and i need to eat some really super healthy food then you and i will wait an hour for that your mind totally gets that mm-hmm. so you got to see your mind as something that's working for you and if you give it the right instructions to do an amazing job and if you give it the wrong instructions like all people who work for you do a terrible job
0: uh, that that is incredible because <laughs> i hope people out there listening understand that yeah. it. it it sounds like it's so easy too but Mm. you have to work at this like that's another thing and 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 doing your hypnotherapy it could happen in one session but the people out there sometimes at least for me it like i had to keep going especially when that ingrained feeling of i just i can't do this like i'm just I'm, i'm always been afraid or i'll never ever be able to let go that was my thing i couldn't let go when i was acting or when i was in front of a camera uh for whatever reason but and it took me a little wa- more time than than just the one session, but eventually I got it.
1: Yeah. Well, people change in three ways, and, and everyone should know that. The first change is instant. You know, I came to see Marissa, and when I left, I've I've never smoked a cigarette since. I just, I don't know what you did, but I can't eat chocolate. I ordered a coffee, had chocolate, and I sent it back. No, now I don't eat sugar in any form. So that's very exciting, the instant rapid change, which many people get. And others change cumulatively bit by bit. They go, you know, I I did have a drink but I only had one and then I didn't want another one and I just noticed that that change was creeping up and the other changes retroactive was I didn't even know I'd changed and suddenly I woke up and thought, I haven't shouted at my kids for two months. Mm -hmm. I haven't had a migraine for three months and they don't even know they've changed because they have lag time And if everyone expects to change immediately and they're the retroactive or cumulative changes, I think it's not working. So understand that for everyone who changes instantly, others change retroactively and others change cumulatively. It's like I had three driving tests before I passed my test. Some people have one, but once you get on the road, you're all equal. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really matter. It matters at the time. Yeah. So we all change differently. Don't compare yourself. And if you're starting to say these excitings, I'm enough, I'm significant, I've got a gift, I can monetize it, allow that to sink in. Bit, you wouldn't go to the gym and go, I've done 600 sit-ups, I should have a flat stomach now, I can go home and never work out again. You go to the gym, you build a muscle, but then yeah. you maintain it.
2: Yeah. And
1: I wouldn't say it's hard because I'd say, look, we talk to ourselves every day. Everyone talks themselves every day. The difference is you learn to talk to yourself better.
0: Yeah. I think I'm that one where I do it over and over and over and over, and then I'm thinking, okay, this isn't working. And then all of a sudden I look up and oh, I'm listen, like, shit. It's working. I have been so positive and <clears throat> yeah. I have been on fire and I've been free and I've been yeah. everything that yeah. I wanted to program my mind with. So really your brain is a computer. Yeah. a computer. And it's
1: you can program computer. it to do whatever you want. And That's- like all computers, the thing with your brain is it's always switched on and it records everything. The way you feel about everything is down to two things. The pictures you make in your head and the words you say to yourself. So if you watch people on a roller coaster, are they screaming because they're happy or terrified? Who knows? The mind doesn't even know actually. But if you say I'm excited and this is thrilling, or I'm terrified and I hate it, you actually will get the same response. You can even just change the words and not the pictures because the words create the picture. So imagine you had to go on stage or go for an audition or go for an assessment with your boss. You go, my God, I'm so scared. And it's going to be terrible, I know I'm going to break out in a sweat and I know when he asks me a question I'm going to open my mouth and go, oh. mm-hmm. or you can go, I'm excited, this is my opportunity to show him who I am and what I can do for this company. I've got 20 minutes on my own with a boss to present him some ideas I have. I'm excited. Your mind doesn't question that, so you can be excited or nervous. You can be terrified or ecstatic. They kind of feel the same. Mm-hmm. And the third thing about mind, and that is the most vexing thing, is your mind loves what is familiar and doesn't like what's unfamiliar. And if it could, it would keep you in the familiar and avoid the unfamiliar. And that's actually unfortunate, except you can make anything you want familiar. If you've, people who've never had praise, and it's so unfamiliar, if you say to them, hey, Tony, I, love, um, I loved your talk. they would go, it's terrible. Didn't you notice I missed something important? No. So not only do they have to reject the praise, they've got to add in the criticism because that's what their life was. Mm, no praise, lot of people do that tons too, of criticism. Yep. You say to them, I love your show. The I've had it for five years, got a hole in yeah. it as a hand-me-down. Or you mm. say, um, I hear you got a prize at work for the best salesman. Yeah, that's because the other guy was sick. So they reject praise and, and add in criticism because it's familiar. And I have to teach them, okay, I want you to praise yourself. You think I'd ask them to have a root canal, but I make them praise themselves because there's nothing that will build your self-esteem like praise. Mm-hmm. And you can make anything familiar and anything unfamiliar, but you've got to understand that your mind is wired to run back. So I work with people who go, I only date losers. I don't know why that is, but that's what I attract if you push them to the goal, I did meet somebody really nice, but I, I couldn't see them again. Why not? They were too good for me. I went, their behavior was unfamiliar. But if you stay with them, it will become familiar. Words are so powerful. So and powerful. Sometimes
0: we're just talking, just talking. We don't even yeah. realize what's coming out because yeah. our subconscious God. is taken hmm. over. Because uh, that's 95% yeah. of what you, what you say yeah. and do. Is, is, it's your subconscious. Yeah. You're on autopilot. And yeah. so that's what this is part of, reprogramming your yeah. hypnotherapy. is about reprogramming yeah. that subconsciousness. Yeah. But the people who haven't done that yet realize yeah. what you're saying yeah. is affecting not just you, it's also your family and your friends and your environment.
1: And I find that my clients are the unhappiest, use very unhappy language. It's a nightmare. My kid drives me insane. My boss is killing me. This commute, it makes me want to die. And yeah. it's not that. If it's take a while and think about do you use those words killing me every day? I wanna die. I'm dying under the pressure. The stress is killing me. I see that with so many parents. Again, my kid, oh my god, I want to kill myself. I want to jump off a bridge. And that isn't true. So you just change it. My, my kid is a challenge, but you know, they grow up really fast. Mm-hmm. My boss is a nightmare for everyone, but I can deal with him. This customer is difficult, but they they're the ones that teach me the most. So You can have exactly the same situation you ever had. But if you change how you talk about it, even to yourself, the situation will change. If you go, my kid is a nightmare. Yeah. They drive me insane. I use that all the time. And and you start to say, My kids are a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they do. (laughs) You got the same kid, the same situation, but you feel better because you start to say. Yeah. They're a challenge, but you know, that comes with the territory. Yeah. (laughs) You want to have the only people who have kids that are not a challenge are people who don't have kids, who have introverted kids. And, um, you know, you you should, it is difficult to have challenging kids, but they're the best kids to have because they challenge bullies. They challenge people who say, let's go shoplifting or take drugs. They go, I'm not doing that. So be thankful you've got the challenging ones because they can stand up for themselves. If they can stand up to you, they stand up to a bully if you go don't you dare speak back and you sit in the corner and be quiet then they be surprised when they come home and someone's persuaded them to do things you didn't want them to do because you told them not to have an opinion.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> you got to talk to my wife sometimes <laughs> <'cause> she's uh... <laughs> I love to hear how she talks about me. Um that well that let, you know, speaking of relationships that's uh last subject I want to talk to you about um <clears throat> People talk about the one, one. uh, what does, what does that mean? And is there the one person out there for everybody?
1: Do you know, I see that in LA people say to me, I need to find my twin flame. And it's Uh like, Oh, stop it. You know, stop looking for your twin flame. The person you're going to meet is nothing like you. Hmm. They'll irritate you and challenge you. And if you look for someone who's perfect, you're going to be disappointed, but People have this strange belief, especially women. They think, I'm going to sit at home and watch TV, and this guy's going to turn up. No one says, I'm going to find a job by staying in the house. I'm going to get fit by staying in the house. If you want a job, you go out and get it. You want to get fit, you go out and get it. But with love, we just think it's going to turn up, and you have to be a bit proactive. You know, I worked with a girl, very pretty. Dad left home, and she said, I can't find love. I said, listen... Where do you go? I go to yoga. Well, they were, why would you look for love in a yoga class? There's no men in there. Or they go to book clubs or they go to women's groups. I'm like, you need to go to golf wearing very tight leggings <laughs> and look amazing. And you'll be married in a year. And she was. Because, you know, if you want to find love and your woman, go to a poker club. Go talk if you want to find love, and you're a guy. Go to a hairdressing convention downtown, and uh-huh. you, 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 people are not smart about love. They go, "Oh, I can't find anyone," but they're in the wrong place, or they go to a bar where everyone looks just like them, uh-huh. and or you know they don't understand, or they go, "I just want someone gorgeous." It's like, no, that's not important. Look for someone kind and funny, and that you can spend your whole life with. They go, "Oh." Uh, you know the sex. I don't even like this isn't, but the sex is amazing. I said, like, well, that's never going to last. So uh-huh. being with someone because the sex um, blows your mind is is a bit of a tragedy because when it wears off, you've got nothing left. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so the thing with love is you have to be first of all proactive. In fact, no, the most important thing. In fact, the only thing you need to do to find love is to believe you're lovable. First, you got to go. I'm lovable. I deserve love, I'm worthy of love. And it's very hard because women hear all these. you know, I've got to have fat hair and and a thin butt and I've got a fat butt and thin hair, so therefore I'm not lovable. That's just so not true. Mm -hmm. First you decide, I am lovable. I'm lovable just the way. I don't have to take anything away or add anything on. There's nothing to be snipped off or shoved in to make me lovable. I am lovable now. Mm -hmm. And once you can believe you're lovable, once you can actually fall in love with yourself, which is quite easy, just go, hey, there you are, I love you, you're kind, you're funny, you're warm, you're lovely. First of all, you go, going, no, I'm not, uh, I've got cellulite. Or, So what? You're still amazingly lovable. Uh-huh. And if you keep saying it, your mind will let it in because you're objecting and you run out of objections. Uh-huh. Then yeah. you feel lovable. Then you give the whole world consent to realize you're lovable because you're going to spend your whole life with you. The longest relationship is with you. You might as well spend it really loving yourself. It's the beginning of a romance that never disappoints you, never goes away. And then when you've done that, put yourself in front of the opposite sex or the same sex, if that's what you like, Uh and you'll find love within a year easily, easily.
0: Will that help you from avoiding the same toxic relationship. I, I have a lot of friends and I've I've seen it throughout my life sometimes. Sometimes it's like, okay, I keep I leave one bad relationship and I go to the sure. next bad relationship. I had a little theory on this, I wanna test it out on you. I think it's a reflection of you, well, the person that you end up with. There's people are like, okay, I keep finding the same person. I'm like, yeah. well, maybe you have to change yourself because you're gonna keep attracting the you're same
1: person. You're completely correct. If you think you're not lovable, your belief is, I'm going to get dumped.
0: Well, nobody says I'm not loving. No, but them, right? they
1: feel it. Uh-huh. They believe it. I, they, am I okay? Do, do, you, do I look? Are you sure? Mm-hmm. Could could you come into my life and make me feel better? And you see these people who don't really believe they love, and they say to the other person, "Please love me. Could you love me?" Somebody goes, "Sure, yeah." And then they go, oh, "I don't want to love you." I'm bored now. Uh-huh. Or they might go, "No, not at all." So if you give someone the permission to make you feel good, they can make you feel bad. Of course, somebody can enhance it. So if you feel unlovable, if you feel not enough, the, the scourge of the modern world, because we're told you're enough if you're tall, if your breasts are up here, if you've got a six pack, if you wear designer labels, if you've if you've got a nice house, if you've got a nice car, if you haven't got that, you're not enough. So we buy into it and then we try to find someone to make us feel enough, knowing that we're not enough. If you think you're not enough, your belief is, I'm going to get dumped. So if I pick a loser, well, they just dump me early. I, 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 can, I don't have to prolong the pain. So imagine I don't think I'm good enough. I've got to find a guy who also thinks I'm not good enough and is also not good enough, and then that's going to end early. Mm. But if I found someone amazing and they left me and go, no, no, I'm not good enough because that great guy left me. But that idiot alcoholic, well, he wasn't good enough for anybody anyway. So attracting toxic people is less painful because they weren't, it's never going to work out. Mm. I mean, I only like married people. It's like, yeah, because they're not available to you. Mm -hmm. You have a belief that love isn't available, so you have a wild affair with someone who's married and it all goes wrong because that's what you expected. Mm -hmm. If you think love isn't available, you're not going to put yourself in front of some amazing quality person who could love you because if they left you, that would hurt so much more than some loser in a bar who prefers drink to you. So that's one thing. But the second thing, and it's that familiar, unfamiliar. My dad was a critical, dismissive alcoholic, and I seem to like critical, dismissive alcoholics. That's who I go out with all the time. Mm -hmm. Because what you're doing, it's so frustrating, is you're recreating what's familiar and trying to change the ending, I'm going to find an alcoholic and straighten him out. I'm going to find a distant person, make them love me, and then my cold, critical mothers become this lovely person. My absent critical dad has become this pussy cat, so we're so busy creating what was familiar to change the ending. I'm like, "No, change the beginning, decide you're lovable." when you've really let that sink in, go out and put yourself in front of a quality person, you probably end up with them. Because you've got to change the beginning, not the ending. The ending is find someone from like your mom or dad and try to make them love you. The beginning is believe you're lovable and find someone who agrees with you. It's so much easier.
0: How do you avoid that loser, though? Like you say, uh, how do you <coughs> recognize that? What's the yeah. quickest way to go, okay, if, if and I'm talking the very first... Hour. Can you recognize yeah. that in somebody yeah. right away and go, you, you know what, like, this person You can. Is so
1: I worked toxic. with this really amazing guy, a very successful, and he said that when he was a kid, he went to show his mother something he'd written. She went, darling, you might be six. Please remember I'm not. I find you so boring. I'm too intelligent to be a parent. You bore me. He said, I never forgot that. I'm like, well, well, whoever would. And guess what kind of women he liked? Super smart women that made him feel stupid. And when I pointed that out, to him and he told me that about his mother, and always telling him that she was too intelligent to deal with him, and he had a nanny, and she never wanted to be around him. He understood, I said, Look, now you've got a lesson. Every time you meet a woman and you hear that voice in your head you go, Oh, I feel a bit stupid with her. Move on. There's hundreds of women. You could have anybody. I mean, he owned a club. I mean, it's like, out of all the people that could find women, they're in your place where you work, the business you own. So one question, how do I feel? And he said, you know, it's so amazing. He said, I asked myself that question and I met a couple of women and I just did, I just walked away. But the third one I met, I remember thinking, I feel really smart. He said, I married her. Actually, I went to his wedding (laughs) and he said, I would never be marrying her if it wasn't for you. Just that one little question. And the same thing with women. How do you feel if your feeling is, I don't feel attractive enough or interesting enough. Move on. And when the answer is, I feel good about myself with this person. Then you can date them. Uh-huh. They'd be selective. It's not like there isn't enough people. There's thousands of people to date.
0: Yeah, just be honest, right? Be just honest be like, with hey, you yourself. Know what? This person just made me feel stupid or insulted yeah. me, and even yeah. though they try to yeah. play it off.
1: and People say, oh, I knew he was bad news, but I yeah. carried on seeing him because I thought I could change him. I knew that woman would leave me, but I stayed with her anyway because I thought I could persuade her to stay. You know, stop changing them.
0: Yeah, not change to fix another them, right? person. to fix them or change, change them. Right? You. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's the way. Um, why this practice over medicine?
1: Seventy percent of people going to the emergency room. Two thirds of all people going to their doctor have problems um, that are not that are psychosomatic. Psychosomatic means that pain is real. If I have a psychosomatic migraine or a psychosomatic tremor, it's real but my mind is causing it, not a diseased organ. And doctors will say, you know, 70% of people in the ER, they can't fix them because it's, it's not a diseased organ. It's diseased thinking, you know. We're not machines that are broken that need fixing. We, we have thoughts that need fixing and, and medicine isn't really designed to do that. You know, I train many doctors in RTD I've trained a lot of psychiatrists, I've trained surgeons. They'll say, you know, we see this all the time, but we don't know how to fix it. So we have bulimics coming in, anorexics, and we force feed them and we weigh them. We say, okay, you can't have your phone till you gain five pounds. And we know that they're going to leave, starve, come back. It's a revolving door because we're treating the symptom and not the cause. You're depressed, let me give you some pills. One of mm. my clients said, you know... I was so depressed I couldn't have sex with my husband. They gave me medication, I still can't have sex with him. I don't care now because I'm <laughs> numb. That's not good. So I, I'm about what I call what lies beneath. I always say to somebody, look, you know, the presenting problem, it's not even the problem. You've got to look for what lies beneath. We train all of our students, we've trained like 3,000, to look for what is going on underneath. And if you treat the root... It will never come back. But you can't treat symptoms, and that's why you know medicine, if you break your leg, medicine's a wonderful thing. If you want to deliver a baby, it's a wonderful thing. But if you have depression or panic attacks or anxiety, you can't really medicate that because you're medicating feelings, and feelings are the most real thing you have, and they're trying to tell you something. When you have a feeling, you think, I've got a feeling... I just drink it, Netflix it, shop it, eat it, drug it. It would just regroup and come back stronger and stronger. You've got to feel your feeling so mm-hmm. it no longer requires to be felt. And when you understand what the feeling is telling you, then it's a whole different world.
0: Uh, do people have a hard time understanding that? I mean, what's, what's the biggest misconception? of hypnotherapy that you've seen?
1: Oh, that someone's going to wave a magic wand and you're going to go into a trance and be made to do what you don't want to do, which mm-hmm. is not possible. Or that, um, you know, they're yeah, going to... because people
0: have seen the stuff on on stage, act yeah. like a dog, and yeah. every time you hear this noise, you're going to jump up well, and down.
1: Well, one so. in ten people are very suggestible, and the same person who will have a drink and act completely out of character and find that drink makes them relax and do wild, crazy things, they're the one in ten who go up on stage in a show and volunteer because they want to be someone else for half an hour. They make very good actors, very good comedians, but that's only one in 10. And I I love that one in 10 because they are a dream to work. with. But the other 90% are good too. So the the thing with RTT is that we do something called role, function, purpose. And I ask people in hypnosis, I want you to tell me the role of the depression. They'll say, oh, I don't have to go to work. What's the role of your illness? And even children of five, I went to the little kid who had eczema everywhere and I said, you know, darling, this is a funny question, I know, but you're really smart and you're going to answer it for me because you must set the client up for success. I always say to my clients, you're so clever, you're going to get this. You're so smart, you're going to know this immediately. I'm talking to their mind, I'm bypassing their conscious and talking to the subconscious, which goes, yeah, okay. And then I said to this little kid, so... If eczema was your friend, how would it help you? And he said, well, every night I stand like that. Mummy puts cream and wet bandage on me. She doesn't put any cream on that baby. And at five, he understood that he'd seen mummy massage the baby. And he said, mummy, I want that. because don't be silly, you're a big boy. You don't need that. But mummy, I want you to massage me. No, I'm busy. You had a massage when you were a baby. Now you're a big boy. And, of course, he said it to his mind, I want the massage, I want that. And the mind's job is to do anything and everything to give that kid what he asked for. Now he's got eczema, he's getting cream put on him every night. Uh-huh. And if only doctors could say to people, and one day they will, before I give you this prescription, can I just ask you a silly question, but if your illness had a role or a function or an intention, what, let's play a game, what could it be? And they'll tell you, well, you know, nobody looks at me because I'm big. Uh, I could have been a a successful actress, but you know, I got really heavy, and then I lost the part. But what there is, but then I never had to cope with the fact that I might not have been good enough. I coulda, woulda, shoulda, but then I got the depression. You know, I worked with a girl who had such chronic migraine. She had forty injections in her head every month. When I talked to her, she said, "My dad wants me to be a barrister." I don't want to do that. And he's told me all my life, you, you're going to take over the family firm. But when I got the headaches, he went, oh, you could never be a barrister now. You'd be lucky if you could be a waitress. And then she was free. And then when I fixed the headaches, she became a DJ, what she always wanted to be. Uh-huh. But the headaches had a role. She couldn't say to her dad, I don't want this, because he wanted it for us so much. Mm-hmm. So often people don't understand that when they were four, three, two, seven. They asked for the illness, not not consciously, please make me ill, but it's like saying I need attention. Uh. I need not no attention, I need to not be seen. And, and you know, I, I worked with this girl who had this terrible skin condition. She used to burn if she went out in daylight, and you can imagine what her life is. She was a coach because she worked from home on a computer. And when I went back, she said that she got really bullied at school, and her mum went, look, you... I can't help you, we have no dad, I'm a single parent, you've you got to go to school, you're going to deal with it, I can't help you, just get on with it. And she said, I thought a thought, I want to be at home forever. And every time she got bullied, she'd think, I just want to be at home and never leave. And then she got this skin condition where she couldn't leave the house. Mm-hmm. And that's how the mind is. If you say, I want to never leave the house, I want to stay at home, when you're eight, that sounds thrilling, be at home with the TV and ice cream. I don't have to go to school. Those kids are horrible to me. But the mind can't later switch that off. So the mind created this burning skin. She couldn't leave the house. Mm -hmm. And it was very useful. When she was 42, she still had it, and it was not useful at all. And And when they go back, they have what I call the aha moment. Oh, my God. Of course. When I was six, I unconsciously wanted this wow, when I was 15, I said, if I get pregnant, my dad will kill me. It will ruin my life. And now I'm 35 and I can't get pregnant. because I said to my mind, it would be the end of the world. It would be a nightmare. My dad will kill me if I get pregnant. And I never went back and undid that. And that's what we do. We go back and we unpick stuff and we undo it. We make sense of it. And then we change the beginning and the ending.
0: Uh Well, I'm ready. You want to do some of me? Of course. (laughs) All right, this is exciting. Scary, but exciting. No, it's never scary. <laughs> I know. I'm talking about, I know. it's so scary how um, your thoughts really, <clears throat> you really do create your reality mm. with your thoughts. But it and, doesn't
1: have to be scary because if they're your thoughts yeah, and, and, and you the think people, them, then you can change them.
0: Yeah. Someone yeah, and,
1: else's thoughts, hey, but your thoughts.
0: For the people out there, well, for me, like I used to be, like sometimes I would create situations. It, mm. That's really where my life took off. When you can finally figure out how to articulate yeah. to yourself what you want yeah. uh, and do that daily for yeah. at least 30 days, like you said. Um, yeah. Well, here's it's the thing. very powerful stuff.
1: Say I am. You know, for everyone listening to this, say I am. I am amazing. I am significant. I am lovable. I am enough. Because the words that go after I am go after you. So say that and then start to go, I'm a loser. I am boring. Mm. I'm nothing of interest. I'm useless. And you see, your mind doesn't, really care what you tell it so if you want to feel good just i am and answer i am amazing i'm amazing at marketing my skills i am talented i'm attracting wealth i'm a wellness making machine or i'm always sick i'm always sick every time the weather changes i get ill i've got a terrible immune i'm always ill or i am a wellness making machine yeah. So you can say all the negative things. I'm boring, I'm stupid, I'm fat, I'm lazy, I'm destructive, and then cross them out and just find the opposite of that. What would be the opposite of lazy? I'm motivated. What's the opposite of self-sabotaging? I'm motivated. What's the opposite of I'm a loser? I'm a winner. Yeah. Just flip it over and start to say the opposite. It's not rocket science. Yeah. Since you're already saying the negative words, how can it be scary to say the positive ones? Your yeah. life might change on a dime. You might get what you want. You might wake up and think, wow, I love my life.
0: Yeah. And th- that's what's happened to me. Yeah. Once. And me. And, and, uh, I just, by the way, this is what I do <laughs> yeah. all the day. I do that in the mornings before yeah, even my head too. gets off that pillow. It's the fr- I don't even open my eyes. I will start going through these affirmations I am joyful. I am yeah. fulfilled. I am yeah. happy. Uh, and then before I go to sleep, yeah. kind of like that. I'll do it sometimes during the day yeah. or meditate. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, those things I'm talking about for the people out there. Cause I remember when I used to, I always did that for football, Yeah. but I couldn't transfer that off the field. That's why yeah. I went to go see you. Uh, but now I've been realizing that I can do that in every part of my life. Yeah. It does not matter. It's not yeah. limited just to what I want to create from a job standpoint. Yeah. I can do that with my wife, I can do that with my yeah. kids. I could do that with anything that I want to do. Uh, And it's powerful, powerful stuff. Yeah.
1: And also, it's a really good idea. You do it. When you wake up, go, I love my day. Yeah. I love this cup of coffee. It's sensational. I love the shower gel. It's my favorite fragrance. Because if you can start to celebrate little tiny things, your brain starts to feel like every day is Christmas, and then big things are just, like, amazing. So it's really good to vibrate to that frequency of, Starting the first just going, because, you know, you just think, oh, my God, this coffee is amazing. This yeah. shower gel smells good. I love to hear my kids laugh. I'm in a car driving to work. How lucky am I? Because it's, like, oh, my God, the traffic on the 405. But someone hasn't got a car, that is their fantasy dream come true. You whine about your kids. Someone else would sell their house to have a kid. You yeah. moan about your partner. Someone else would love the partner to moan about. Yeah. You moan about your job, your commute, your hours, but someone else would love that. And yeah. you know, we, we've both been to downtown Jamaica. I've been to Cuba. I've been to Mexico. And you think, oh my god, we have no problems. It's very easy yeah. to moan about our life, but if you could remember that wherever you are, you someone else would probably swap places with you tomorrow. And your problem is their fantasy.
2: Yeah,
1: helps you get it in perspective. But if you're really suffering, you don't have to do that. But just do the I am.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, and and to the cynical people out there listening, because yeah. there are cynical oh, people out there. It's not the it it kind of is that not you fake it till you make it. Yeah, because eventually you're you'll start to buy in yeah. to what you're saying. And by the way, the the byproduct of of all this way of thinking, yes, you will go out there and achieve your dreams, but it feels good in the process. I, it's just it's just a good way mm-hmm. to treat yourself like all that anger and envy and jealousy stuff or frustration whatever you yeah, that we self-esteem. all go through it just yeah. it just makes you feel better it's like that at the very least you're going to feel better whether you believe in this or not it's it's a it's a good feeling to be positive with yourself so and that's everything why i was you
1: people, want mm-hmm. is because of how it's going to be if you're win the lottery because of how it makes you feel well, that was the worst thing that happened to me you want to find love Everything you want in life is because of how it makes you feel. And when you can feel it without even getting the stuff, you've won. And then you'll get the stuff as well.
0: Okay, final questions. Um, what is the number one thing couples can do to elevate their relationship?
1: Give 100%. A lot of people say, I'll give 50%, and you give 50%, and that doesn't work. You've got to give 100%. Uh, praise the other person a lot, you know, praise, nothing will grow your self-esteem like praise. Nothing will wither it, but like criticism. And the thing that makes a relationship last is, is respect and praise. Uh,
0: what's your, we're going to get into some other things too. Here. Okay. Do you, are you, are you spiritual? Do you, yeah, do you are oh, very you God much so. or a yeah, higher belief or anything like that? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. Very much so. Do you meditate or anything like that?
1: Well, I do hypnosis, and that's such a profound meditation. I used to do Wayne Dyer's meditation. I loved it, but I'm so into RTT. I'm always writing it, yeah. recording you stuff. And that, for me, that's the best meditation.
0: Um, are you a lover of food? Yeah. Meaning, Yes. question we always ask on here, because I love this question What is your final meal?
1: Oh, my final meal would probably be. And we got to go all
0: out. It could be unhealthy.
1: No, it Please. would be a combination. Yeah. I'd have yeah, fish. Go for it. And vegetables. I'd have chocolate. And I'd have my grandmother's pear crumble with custard on it.
0: There it is. <laughs> and hot
1: chocolate with marshmallows on it. All stuff from my childhood.
0: Ah. Uh-huh. What's next for you? What's what's on tap right now? You got I know you got your book, right?
1: Well, we're teaching RTT uh-huh. in LA. We teach it every well, every fall we teach RTT. So in the end the middle of October we're teaching two RTT schools in Marina Del Rey, the Marina Del Rey Hotel. Then we go straight to Melbourne, and we teach it there. Mm-hmm. So um, that's exciting. We've got our <clears throat> RTT going into schools, we've got it going into hospitals, we've got several rehabs taking it. So it's really lovely for me that so much of the world is waking up to the power of RTT schools, jails, hospitals, rehabs. Because rehabs have said, you know, when we put in this I'm enough, our relapse rate changes. We keep te- treating addicts for addiction but never realize what lies beneath. They don't think they're enough, so they need more. And so we've got a lot of clinics now taking our program and loving it. So it's really exciting. Wow. We've got 13 awards last year uh-huh. for this, and it's so Fantastic. Cool. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> and not just for me. I mean, I don't need an award, but I love it for the people I train. They can go, wow, I've been trained in an award, multi-award-winning therapy. It's really nice to people I train that they can, they can say that because it's true.
0: Oh, I love, well, awards, accolades, yeah. you're getting them because it works. That's yeah, right. sure. So, so I, I believe in the, uh, being recognized yeah, for Yeah, me too. And congratulations on that. All right, last question. Obviously, the show is called Wide Open. What's one area of your life that you've liked and proven that you're wide open to learning more about?
1: Ooh. That's a good question. What one area of my life would I like to improve in? That's a really hard question <laughs> to answer. You know, I, my husband's an amazing cook, so I don't have to cook. I have an amazing house in London and L.A., I don't have to do that. You know, most people are working so they can like buy a great house, but I yeah. have two great homes. I've got an amazing child, two great stepchildren. And I'm really happy. Um, I should read more, actually. Mm-hmm. I, I'm so busy writing books. I, I don't spend enough time reading books. And I'm, I read one at the weekend, and it was so wonderful. I thought, well, that's what I should do more, find more time to read.
0: Nice. I would love reading, by the way. Mm. <laughs> that's changed my life. Once again, Mercer Pierre, thank you so much for being on the
1: show. Thank you for having me. It's been delightful. Thank you.
0: Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, Thanks for listening to Wide Open. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on all podcast platforms. And hit me up on social media at TonyGonzalez88. Love to hear from you, answer any questions, uh, and just wanted to say thank you.